know you, the more we see how dependent upon your grace we are. John Newton called it amazing. We call it that too. We, um, we search for a better word, perhaps, but it is grace amazing that sustains us and gives us strength each day. Your grace, O oh God, endures for a lifetime. And we pray that indeed, in the midst of our struggles, what might be underneath us is that strong footing placed there by a God of rich, abundant, everlasting, eternal, amazing grace. Our Father, we intercede for families within our church whose cups are awfully full right now. We are um, particularly concerned for the Boltons and what Sharon is facing and what the entire family is facing. And uh, know not, O oh God, how, how you will work here, but we beg you to have mercy. Have mercy on them, have mercy on us. Might your grace sustain them, might your grace sustain us. Might your grace sustain me. Oh God, we pray that you will um, give us a, a, a sense of your sovereign your sovereignty all over again and on top of that oh god remind us that this god whose sovereignty extends to the last atom of this universe is also a god of great eternal goodness our father um we do ask that our worship would be pleasing we uh, we know something about the longing for your peace as augustine mentioned. And I pray, Father, that you will grant that today. And then for your, your church here at Gracie Van, Father, we ask that you will use us. We do not want to settle in to be just another church that is very happy to grow fat in Zion. And I pray, O oh God, that you will prevent that and that you will give us eyes that are lifted up towards those fields all around us that are so white unto harvest. Raise up mighty men of valor and women, and might this church be useful to you in the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity, O oh God, to give. We need to give. We need to give a whole lot more than you need to get. And so we ask, O oh God, that you will accept these small gifts Use them for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. From uh, Galatians chapter 5, um, I, I know this doesn't make a bit of sense to you. It actually doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but I'm reading from the NIV this morning because I left my other Bible at home. So if you're wondering, well, why is he doing that? Well, because I left it at home. That's, that's why I, I am reading from the NIV. So that, that, here we go. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus <clears throat> neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into, this, into confusion who will, will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Just to remind you, uh, I, this summer what I had hopefully led by the Spirit of God chose to do was remind you of some things that are important here at Gracie Van. We've inserted this into your bulletin, oh gosh, six weeks in a row or so. It is a list of the core values of Gracie Van, the things that we feel are important. Uh, we have a philosophy of ministry, as you know, it is reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. But how do we intend to do that? We intend to do that by emphasizing things like these. These are the things that are important to us, and we've covered, well, we've covered two of them. We've covered truth, and we've covered the biblical family unit. This morning, uh, perhaps you've already figured out, I'd like to speak to you about number three on that list, a core value here at Gracie Van and that is freedom. Freedom. And I'm really not talking about that stuff that we gained after the Revolutionary War, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm talking about what Paul has in view in his passage. But very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, this is a tricky little text. It's an intricate little text because there's a couple of things that Paul keeps bouncing between as he, as he, as he writes this to the Galatians. He's accomplishing a couple of things. He's accomplishing, and, and hopefully, by the time we're finished here, uh, you'll see, or I, I'm going to try to help you see what it is those two things are that Paul is trying to accomplish. You may recall that uh, uh, several months back, I, I preached a series entitled Corban. And I said something uh, in that series that I know you all remember. <clears throat> I said something about the term grace. We sang about earlier. 
I said something about grace that at the time that I said it, I thought it was quite revolutionary. Now, when I say revolutionary, what I mean is that I, for me, I had never heard anyone else say it before, nor had I ever read it in anybody else's book. It was a somewhat of a new thought for me. And what I said then was that when I think of grace, if I'm going to come up with a synonym for grace, the synonym that I'm going to use is freedom, liberty. Now, guys, um, other people may have said that before me, but I simply had not heard them ever say it before. And so for me, it was a new thought. It was a revolutionary kind of uh, equation. Well, my bubble got burst a couple of weeks ago as I studied this passage because it seems that somebody did say that way before me. Paul. Um, actually, he didn't say exactly that, but the notion, the idea, the, the concept, I, I think is very definitely woven into this passage. That, that, I, that I just read you, the first 13 verses of Galatians 5. What I want to do is, is kind of bounce around in the text and, and hopefully give you the gist of the text and, and then try to make some summary comments. So hopefully it'll be as clear as, as my babbling tongue can make it. First of all, take a look with me at verse 4. Here Paul is in the midst of a discussion about a, a concern that he has over something that had taken place in the Galatian church. And they've gotten off track here. Um, you know, he says that. You were, running in a, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? They were doing fine and something happened. So in this discussion of an error that had arisen in Galatia, in the Galatian church, in the midst of that discussion about grace and liberty, he makes the point that those who move away from liberty, move away from grace, um, and who replace it with law have moved away from grace. Look at verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, guys, notice that he started this whole discussion with the mention of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm in your freedom. But then in verse 4, he says... You're trying to, you've moved away from that. And now you're trying to be justified by law. And the specific item that had arisen is the issue of circumcision. So apparently somebody was saying, if you're ever going to go to heaven, if you're ever going to be saved, you're going to have to get circumcised. And Paul says, if you accept circumcision, to, to accept circumcision is to accept a whole scheme, a whole legalistic scheme. And by so doing, you lose the advantages of Christ. That is, you adopt a, a very heavy burden that he mentions in verse 3. You are now obligated to obey the whole law. If you add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. Because grace, 
as Paul has it in mind here, as, as he's using it here, grace is a, is a nice summary term for the gospel. And in that gospel, we are taught, and, and if we understand that gospel aright, we would never dream of thinking that we are saved by some bondage to a law, to a, to a work, to an obedience. Christ has set us free from that thing. He has liberated us from law as a means to salvation. So what you see he's doing here is contrasting two schemes. One, he summarizes under the term circumcision. If you get circumcised, then you've, you have fallen away. You're, you're no longer, you're alienated from grace. Because grace liberates you. It liberates you from, from all that stuff. The two, grace and law, are incompatible. There's no compromising between the two. There's no syncretizing them. They're entire opposites. And if you accept circumcision, let himself be circumcised, he says in verse, if you let yourself be circumcised, then what you've done is you've bought into a scheme and that, whole, that, that scheme of law obedience alienates you from Christ who has set you free. Now, let, let me, just a couple more comments about the, the text itself. Look at verse um, 11, uh, where he is accused, apparently Paul is accused, let me, let me read the text for you. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Apparently, Paul has been accused of preaching the circumcision message, and he denies that. But the, the, mess, the, the, the gospel that he was preaching had brought great persecution down around him. Now, why? Why does the message that Paul preaches prompt men to persecute him? I think at least part of the answer, and, and I'm sure there's several answers, but part of the answer is because the gospel that Paul pre preaches is unflattering to man. It tells him, it tells man that he can't save himself. While the other message flatters man by saying, you can contribute to your standing with God by your little goings-on. And, and Paul is suggesting in verse 11, if I preach circumcision, if I preach like these guys are preaching, then the offense of the cross is gone. Why am I still persecuted? See, I'm not preaching that. I'm preaching something completely against that because adopting circumcision is the logical outcome of adopting a scheme of legalism. Now, just, just one kind of maybe a funny note, I guess. I mean, maybe it's not so funny. But in verse 12, what you have is almost an apostolic paroxysm. There's an there's a outburst here that that Paul almost, I mean, it's almost, um, it's encouraging to me, really, to see Paul get so carried away, he just, 
just blurts out something. Um, because I do that every now and then. <laughs> Not very often. But he, says, but he says, as for those who, those agitators, troublemakers, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Instead of stopping short with some minor little surgical procedure, why don't they just go the whole way? Castration. That's what he says. In the midst of trying to compare these two, he says, forget that. I wish those guys would go the whole way. Forget the small things. How about castration? Now, guys, I hope that you can get a gist. What I, what I was trying to do is give you a, just an idea of what Paul is saying in the first 12 verses. We didn't look very closely at them, but hopefully closely enough. Because in verse 13, we have a transition. Paul uses verse 13 as somewhat of a hinge um, to advance his theme of freedom. And notice what he says in, in, in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You know, guys, there is a... Um, we're all kind of off balance, aren't we? You know, rarely do you see a pendulum you know, the pendulum is swinging, and, and it swings over here, and then you find, oh, no, that's not right. And rarely do you see the pendulum go. The pendulum usually comes and then goes over here, and then back, before it ever gets balanced. So there is a tendency among people who hear this gospel of grace and freedom to say, what? What? You mean that I am not going to be saved by any, any little work that I've ever done or ever will do. Did I get that right, Paul? Yes, you got that right. Then okay. <laughs> okay. Then I am going to go live any way I want to live. And so to address that, Paul makes a turn. Right or left, you can call it. And says, now, 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 fellas, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Yes. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. I have been set free from the awful bondage of trying to merit the favor of God. Oh, isn't that great? But I have not been set free to indulge my sinful nature. What this grace, this gospel of grace and freedom does is that it frees me to lovingly serve others. Spending my life lovingly serving others, says the text. Christian liberty is not supposed to be a source of self-centeredness. We sinners have been set free from the bondage of self, the bondage of sin, the bondage of Satan, so that we might become a slave to, to each other. Now, 
Having heard all that, what I want to try and do with my remaining minutes is I want to try to summarize this whole freedom thing for you. Because freedom is important to us here at Crazy Day. But there's, it's important that you, that you understand to write what that freedom is. So in view, in this text, are two kinds of freedom. Two kinds. There is a freedom from. To become a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, you must reject law. That is, reject law in the sense that it will ever save you. And Paul uses the issue of circumcision. Get you another one. How about, oh, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. That's the same thing, ladies and gentlemen, just spelled differently. I'm going to heaven because I'm confirmed. Same thing. I'm going to heaven because I was an acolyte. It's all the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, to become a Christian, you must reject law or obedience to the law as the means by which you are saved. Thinking that some kind of morality on your part, some kind of work, will right you in the presence of God. By receiving Christ, we're set free from the bondage of that kind of thinking. The thinking that says, if I just do enough obediences, that will save me. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, that's bondage. A bondage that never, ever knows whether it's done enough. And there's always someone out there who's doing, a little, doing this a little bit better than I am. And so maybe, maybe they're the standard because they're doing it better, you know, they're doing more, so maybe I should go be like them and then maybe you like that. You know, when, as, I, as I thought about this, a, a story came to my mind that had been lost long ago in my 52-year-old brain. And um, when I was in grade school, to me, I, this just... <laughs> This illustrates the point that I'm trying to make. When I was in grade school, I, I think they still do this, but they had magazine drives. Did y'all have magazine drives when you were in grade school? And, and back then, they had a, a, um, a prize. Only one prize, but they had a prize. And the prize was normally a bicycle. Uh, you know, a bright, red, shiny J.C. Higgins bicycle. Not one of these Cannondales for $2,700, uh, but a... a J.C. Higgins, which I think came from Firestone or something. But it was a bicycle. and that, I mean, the one who sold the most magazines got the bicycle. And I never really got into it very much. You know, I, I didn't like that going door-to-door -door stuff. But one year we were selling, and I got a couple of breaks, uh, you know, which meant that I had sold a few subscriptions and I was on a roll. And I had sold a lot of subscriptions for magazines. And all my, my chums, my buddies that I messed around with, well, you know, they, they hadn't sold any. And so, you know, I was, I was headed straight to the red bicycle. I could see it now. And then one day, while out in recess, the, the rumor <laughs> reached my ear. And I forget, I'm just going to use terms, I don't remember the terms, but let's say I had sold $1,000 worth of magazines, subscriptions. It probably wasn't that. 
One day at recess, the rumor reached my ear that there was a little girl that I didn't even know in my class who had sold $1,200 worth of magazine subscriptions. So now what am I going to do? I've got to go find $300 more of magazine subscriptions because the standard just went up. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I never did win that bicycle. Because I never did do enough. Some people think heaven's like that. But there's a prize. And somebody set the standard out there. Maybe it was one of the elders here, or maybe one of the musicians. And so I gotta keep striving. Ladies and gentlemen, by trusting in Christ and what he did for you, you are set free from that. You don't have to live in bondage anymore. And there are a lot of bondages out there, aren't there? There's bondage to law. There's bondage to alcohol. There's bondage to internet pornography. We don't have to be in bondage, ladies and gentlemen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I want you to know something. That's very important around here at Grace of Man. A gospel of grace that announces freedom to the captives. However, there is a second kind of freedom in this text. There is a freedom from, and there is a freedom to. Ha having become a Christian, you by no means are allowed to draw the conclusion that no law whatsoever exists. Uh, and he and that's, that's what I think he has in view in verse 13. Now, gang, here's where the plot really thickens. And here's where the Christian church really, really does differ. It's amazing. It probably differs from congregation to congregation almost. But um, if you followed me to this point, and I, and I hope you have, then here's the question. If some law does exist for the Christian, whose law? I know that I, I didn't become a Christian by obeying law. That's legalism. But I also know that now that I am a Christian, I am not lawless. So, what law guides me as a Christian? Uh, who gets to write it? That is the law. Maybe it's the Baptists. Where you don't drink and you don't chew and you would never go out with a girl who did. <laughs> or maybe the Presbyterians get to write it. They get to, you know, you got to be orderly. You got to do things in decency. No excessive emotion. Know your stuff. And tithe. <laughs> 
Well, maybe it's the Charismatics. Maybe they get to write it. And their law, that law says, speak in tongues. Uh, lift your hands. Uh, or, or maybe maybe it's the Navigators. Maybe they get to write it. The Navigator Christian Organization. And the law is, memorize scripture. Or maybe Campus Crusade. Maybe they get to write it. Maybe Campus Crusade, uh, and you know Campus Crusade says, you got to do evangelism. Maybe Jimmy Young gets to write it. Be loud. <laughs> Folks, here's the point. When Gracie Van says that freedom is our core value, what, what we're saying is really twofold. We're saying that there are rules, but nobody gets to write those rules but Jesus. Secondly, though many of the things that I may have mentioned are important, they are not measurements of one's spirituality. It is only likeness to Christ that measures our Christian maturity. Gang, here's the way that we like to say it here at Gracie Van. I, I, um, I love this little sentence. My brother, my sister, you want to know how to live as a Christian? You want to know, um, you want to know the freedom that we as Christians, as we as Christians have? Then here's how. Emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. But Jimmy, should I do... Go emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Well, I'm not... Uh, I want to know if I... Go emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there are issues absolutely ad infinitum among Christians. You want an example? Breastfeeding. Some would suggest that if you're really a, an on-target Christian, you've got to breastfeed. Homeschooling. Maybe, maybe if you're really committed, you've got to be in, you've got to homeschool. Or if you're really committed, you've got to do this or that or the other. Ladies and gentlemen, in all things, emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Just go do that. And we're all going to be fine. I'm telling you, gang, uh, this church, this church continues to grow and, and um, you know, we're about to build something, it looks like, that means more people. You know what that means? It means more opinions. It means more traditions. It means more backgrounds. It means more souls. It means more people to see growing maturity. But ladies and gentlemen, you throw them all into one place. And the thing that's important is not your tradition and your preferences. It's not your background. It's not your denomination. It's not mine. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a Presbyterian. But you don't hear me talk about that much. 
Because the standard is not the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's not the Book of Church Order. It's not the Baptist Life and Health or whatever it's called. It's emulating Christ and the power of the Spirit. I have a quote for you that my daughter Megan found for me that I'm telling you is some of the most beautiful that come from G.K. Chesterton. Listen to what he said. I considered Christianity the more. I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Can I read that again? I considered Christianity the more. I found that while it established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Oh, my brother and sister, go run wild! As you emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. You know, um, you can hardly abuse slavery. But you can very easily abuse liberty. In, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, it's easier to live as a slave than it is to, to make choices uh, and to make the right use of the freedom and the liberty that God has given me. In fact, do you remember when Israel was delivered from Egypt? Uh, they were set free from their bondage. And so what did uh, she do? She got out in the wilderness and said, hey, let's go back to bondage. It was easier. And in some ways, ladies and gentlemen, it, it is easier. So with so much potential for abuse and misuse, is it really wise to teach Christians that they are free? Is it, is it safe to tear up all those man-made lists and let out some rope? Isn't it risky, Jimmy, to promote freedom, living by grace, uh, being free to become who you really are? Safe? No. Risky? You better believe it. The risk of liberty, ladies and gentlemen, is that somebody is bound to misuse it. That's why Paul mentions it in verse 13. And because of that, I think in the ecclesiastical world today, in the evangelical world, many choose a very safe option and say very little about freedom other than shouting about don't misuse it. They, um, they feel like it's safer to just underplay it. You know, gang, um, some of you have had teenagers, and you know the risks that come with throwing a 16-year-old a set of keys every time. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, no kid ever grew up to be a responsible adult without some mom and dad who encouraged them into the freedom to grow. 
it is admittedly from a pastoral perspective a difficult thing to do um, that is preserving and promoting the freedom that individual believers have and and encouraging them to be responsible in their use of that that um, that liberty and to make decisions to determine make choices occasionally even making wrong ones but ladies and gentlemen if we don't do that what we would rather do is hold them in some kind of captivity to our traditions and our uh, our preferences so I, I, I say again we must we must encourage you to enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ and we dare not imprison you behind some legalistic bars of our own opinions and traditions and personal preferences. I read a story just recently that I want to share with you and I'm finished. Um, it's a story about the life cycle of a silkworm. <laughs> uh, the life cycle from egg to worm to, to moth. And in that life cycle, it includes a state in which this, the, uh, the silkworm spins for itself a very interesting cocoon, a very valuable cocoon of between 400 and 800 yards of silk. And in the, of course, the final stage of the, uh, of the maturation process, the, the worm after metamorphosis breaks through that, that cocoon and flies free. Um, but unfortunately, in his breaking through that, uh, it ruins all the fiber in the silk cocoon. And so silk farmers have learned that if they're ever going to preserve the silk and use it commercially, they're going to have to keep those worms from coming to maturity. And so at a, at a particular stage of the cycle of the moth's growth, they steam the cocoon. And by steaming it, it arrests the growth, and then they are able to extract the moth out of there and preserve the, the threads. Now, if the, the worm were allowed to fly free, a, a healthy moth would lay up to 350 eggs. But they're not allowed to do that because of the desire for the silk, of course. My point is this. I, I, wonder, I wonder, could it be that there are many immature, caged Christians who are kept from growing into maturity by their ecclesiastical captors because some ecclesiastical goals might not be met if there was a room full of free people. Um, it's, it's kind of a risky thing to turn your back on all your traditions and leave them in shambles, ladies and gentlemen. And um, I can say this too, there's a lot of hassle involved. Uh, teaching people how to fly takes a whole lot more time and trouble than just allowing them to crawl. A, a room full of moths is certainly a bigger challenge than a box full of worms. But ladies and gentlemen, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Our salvation does not, nor will it ever, depend on what we do, nor will it be imperiled by what we fail to do. We live not by being perfect, 
but by being forgiven. But by being, but because we are forgiven, we are now on the course of becoming just like Jesus as we seek to emulate him in the power of the Spirit. Freedom. It's a real core value around here. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will allow your people to get a glimpse of what is being said and that my words might not have confused them. And, and I pray that you will, um, uh, for maturity's sake in all of our lives, that you will uh, remind us that this great gospel that, that we have, the one that is contained in the scriptures, the one that Paul preached, the one that hopefully is preached from this pulpit is a gospel that sets men free from the burden of law obedience. But it is also a gospel that encourages men, having come to Christ, to go become just like him. That now that we've been set free from our sin, from self and Satan, we are free to become more and more like the Savior that we love. Father, use that. Use that to stimulate us all. For Christ's sake.